Latest sales reports show clearly the direction for e-books down. In the months ahead, major publishers who hope to reverse that now well-established course must decide whether to get creative with marketing or pricing or both. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Any solution to save the ailing ebook market will also require creative legal thinking, at least where it comes to major publishers' contracts with Amazon. For the reasons why, we turn to Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins us every Friday with the latest book business news. And welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, we will get to our friends uh, out on the West Coast as soon as we can. But right now, some numbers from some friends of ours on the East Coast. It's summertime. It's getting hot. Uh, and ebook sales, however, are showing that they're not so hot. In fact, they've been continuing to cool off. And you've got AAP sales numbers that show that. That is right. In fact, for the second month of 2016, total sales of adult books fell once again. Uh, this according to figures released Tuesday by the Association of American Publishers. The numbers were released this week were for February of 2016. They, of course, are provided by AAP Stat Shop program, and they indicate that overall adult book sales dropped 6.6% for February of 2016 compared to the same period last year. There was some good news, however, you know, children's and YA segment was up 17% for the month. Downloadable audio continued to be a bright spot with February sales up 44.4%, a uh, gaudy number indeed. So where audiobooks, I think, were once a pretty peripheral market, I think they're now starting to enter that territory where publishers are increasingly seeing audiobooks as an important segment. Uh, definitely the revenue is rising to that level. Uh, and trade paperback sales were up 4.2% in February. Once again, buoyed by coloring books, of course. But still, the adult segment has to be somewhat concerning for publishers. Uh, mass market paperback sales were off 26.3% compared to last February, and hardcover sales were off 10.2%. Right. Well, that's going to ruin anybody's vacation, those kind of numbers. And, and to really uh, make it a disheartening summer for them, we can drill down into the ebook sales figures. We know they're down, but by how much? Yeah, so ebook sales dropped a pretty hefty 15.6% in February 2016 over uh, 2015. And if you take into account January and February, the two numbers we have accounted for so far this year, ebook sales are off about 20% to start 2016. Now, I just want to be clear when we're talking about ebooks here, we are talking about ebooks from the 1,200 or so publishers who report their statistics to AAP. And we, we make this disclaimer, I think, every time we talk about ebooks. And in every article I write, I try to be crystal clear about this. But still, every time we get a comment or two from people who say, hey, ebooks are doing great. And they're referring to the full universe of self-published and small indie press ebooks out there too. And that, of course, may be true. Those books may be doing very well. But let's be clear, we're talking about traditional publishers, publishers that are reporting through AAP. And for traditional publishers, ebooks are not doing great. Uh, overall, for the first two months of 2016, ebooks accounted for 28%, 28.3% of adult trade sales compared to 31.4% in January, February of 2015. And make no mistake, those three percentage points represent a pretty significant chunk of revenue. And if declines like that continue, I feel like it's going to become the defining story of 2016. And I don't know if you can hear the thunderstorm behind me here, but that's not for effect. <laughs> that's a real thunderstorm. <laughs> uh, but it's pretty pitch perfect, I think, for this discussion. Well, when you say that 
this is going to become the defining story of 2016. It will if you let it, Andrew <laughs> Albanese. <laughs> but really, it's important because it's only a few years ago that ebooks were touted as the, the the saviors of the business, and here we are seeing something quite different. And uh, this decline has been fairly steady for a while now. And have you? got any idea, any insights, any any word from your sources as to what the decline is about and whether there's a bottom in sight? Well, I think everybody has their ideas about what this is all about. Uh, but to be blunt, you know, I'm not sure that we know exactly what this is. Obviously, price plays a big factor here for sure. And marketing, uh, which you mentioned before, also is a big deal. And I don't know if there's actually a bottom in sight right now. I mean, maybe there is. I'm not sure. But Honestly, that's hard to say. I, I know that's not great analysis right now, but there are two or three things that I would point out, however. One is that the next batch of numbers from AAP are going to tell us a little more because then we're going to have the first full quarter of 2016, and that's going to give us a little bit better base from which to you know make some conclusions. Uh, now, is there a bottom in sight to this? I think publishers are finally getting a handle on what's driving the decline, even though they're not talking about it too much. Uh, and I think after the first quarter of 2016, they're going to have some ideas about what to do. But the problem is, I'm not sure they necessarily have the tools to reverse the ebook slide, uh, at least not quickly. Uh, now, sales are going to improve at some point because last month, as we talked about on this show, Apple pumped $400 million into consumer ebook accounts. And a good percentage of that is certainly going to find its way to publisher bottom lines. But we're not going to really know the results of that until the end of the year when AAP gets to parse all the stats. Those would be the, the sales probably for June, July, August, September, depending on how long it takes people to spend those refunds. But to me, it certainly seems plausible that those refunds are going to be spent on books and that publishers are going to see a bump. And that after that bump, they're going to start fiddling with their price points and thinking about how to market and promote ebooks. That's going to be sort of the last vestige of the old Apple ebook business that we've been talking about so much on this show over the years. But then I'm not sure it's going to be easy for them to just flick a switch and get ebooks back to the growth that they were experiencing. I mean, Apple's iBook store has not sparked the revolution that Steve Jobs said would come along with the iPad. Nook is just a disaster. Google and Sony are not players. Basically, we are back to Amazon. And how publishers are going to work with Amazon to reverse the slide in ebook sales while still balancing their print sales and supporting indie bookstores is once again, I think, going to become a really big question. Uh, and more to the point, and it's going to start sometime soon, all of the publishers are going to have to start angling for their new distribution deals with Amazon, knowing that Amazon has started to reconsolidate its power in the ebook market. Uh, remember, two-year deals were signed at the end of 2014 and 2000, end of 2015. All the major publishers signed new two-year deals with Amazon. Uh, and I think now, armed with sort of the first post-Apple, post-refund batch of ebook sales data, both sides are going to start to angle for the new into their new negotiations with some concrete things that they want to achieve. And that's going to really be something to watch. I mean, let's put it this way. I don't think the publishers or Amazon, uh, with the way ebook sales are going, are going to look at the distribution contracts they have now and say, status quo is just fine. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a battle, and it was certainly a battle last time. But I'm really interested to see what happens as uh, the end of the year brings about those discussions. So watch this space. Right. Well, yeah, tough negotiations, tough questions, and some tough answers probably going to be facing the, uh, the, the publishers and all of this. But where it comes to ebooks and libraries, uh, things continue to develop there and evolve. And the New York Public Library has rolled out its own app for accessing ebooks. They call it Simply E. And you've given it a try. You're a New Yorker, so you might as well tell us what you found. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what this really speaks to is the, the experience of reading ebooks and how people are really taking up ebooks and whether or not they're finding it to be, you know, convenient or not convenient. So as you said, the New York Public Library has spent years working on this new app. It's called Simply E, and it allows cardholders to check out ebooks really, really quickly and efficiently. And, you know, satisfaction has always been a problem for library ebook readers, as we've discussed numerous times on this program before, because they've had to navigate multiple vendors and signups, and there's been too many clicks. It's just been a confusing mess. But now with Simply E at NYPL, it's a really smooth interface. Uh, once you uh, put in your library card number, it sends you to a page and you can just look from the collections that they've highlighted or you can do a search. And once you find a book that you want, three clicks and you're reading it. Bam, bam, bam. And you're on. It takes seconds to actually get to the ebook. No more of the, the hassle of having to log in or do anything different. So it's been a long time coming, but it is really a huge improvement. Well, okay, a huge improvement, but at the end of the day, how satisfied are you with your own experience? Well, I'm going to be you know, sharing my experience with that for sure. And you hit the nail on the head with the satisfaction for sure, because, uh, you know, so far it's been mixed for me. And I think that's you know, fair to say that it, it's got a ways to go. And it's not because of the app, because the app really does work well. Uh, but all the books that I want to read so far have returned with messages saying, I have to wait for a really long time in some places. The whole times on the most popular books and even some books I didn't think would have whole times has been pretty daunting to me. In fact, the first half dozen books that I wanted to check out, I wasn't going to be able to get until fall. But, you know, every single book I wanted to take on my vacation. In fact, I, I was going on a vacation this summer. I wanted to take out a bunch of stuff and I didn't get one of them. They all came back to me with really long hold times. So while the NYPL has done a really great job with the app, it's ironic, I think, because it's really highlighting some of the, the real dissatisfaction in the library ebook space. And that's that it just doesn't accommodate readers that well. Uh, frankly, I think that it's a deeper problem, you know, not just the how many clicks does it take to get to the ebook. Book, but whether or not you can get the ebook right away, like people are accustomed to now. You know, can you imagine if you logged on to your Netflix or your Amazon and you were told that you had to wait 13 weeks to watch a movie? Like I was told that I had to wait 13 weeks to check out The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which I wanted to read to my daughter while we were on vacation. You know, and it's not NYPL's fault. I want to make that clear. But I do think it points to an ebook market that still wants to play by analog market rules. And you know, that just can't work. Not for the long haul. It simply cannot work as consumer expectations change. I found it frustrating. Uh, and as alternatives like subscription access start to pop up, uh, I think it's going to be, it's really going to highlight sort of the inefficiency in the library ebook market. So uh, I'll say for now, kudos to NYPL for addressing a need to make accessing library books easier, uh, but they've still got a couple of, couple of steps to go for sure. All right. Well, you know, we can understand, I think, why the uh, publishers, the uh, the major publishers want to hang on to that analog market, otherwise known as the printed book, because it's served them so well over the years. And certainly a novelist uh, that has served them perhaps the best in recent times. She's got a new book out. A new Harry Potter book is coming. And that must be really exciting. A lot of people. Well, absolutely. You know, our, our Shannon Mon here at PW wrote an article this week uh, about the new Harry Potter book on Harry Potter fans and booksellers and librarians are, are all getting ready to party like it's 2007, she wrote. Uh, Scholastic is actually prepping for a release of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child Parts 1 and 2, uh, and it's going to drop on July 31st at 12.01 a.m. And you know, I'm going to be interested in how Harry Potter fans actually view this book, because it's a script book. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a version of the theater production that uh, was written by Jack Thorne, and it's based on an original story by J.K. Rowling, along with Thorne and director John Tim. 
Tiffany, but it's the script of the play, which opens uh, in London's West End, I think, on Saturday, July 30. But the North American printing for the book, Scholastic has high hopes for it. Its first printing was announced at 4.5 million copies uh, in hardcover. Uh, and to date, combined sales for the first seven Harry Potter books is you know already at 160 million copies, which gives you a sense of how big the audience is going to be out there. Uh, that's, and there's another 450 million copies worldwide. So even more people are waiting for this book all around the world. Uh, in addition, there's, I think, 5,000 bookstores and libraries are going to be hosting midnight parties to celebrate the release of this book. Uh, and Scholastic even has a midnight party locator on its Harry Potter website to help people uh, you know, find a place to sort of join in the midnight fun. So Harry Potter is going to be a big deal. We're going to be talking about Harry Potter again next week on Publishers Weekly. You can read all about it on the PW site next week. Uh, and for sure, I think a new Potter book is going to add some juice to the overall publishing industry sales figures for the year. Uh, and I think the excitement of having a new Harry Potter book is going to be uh, good for the publishing industry as well. So stay tuned. Uh, and, you know, I think that excitement is absolutely going to be good for the industry. It'll be good for all those readers, too, who dearly love those characters. And, and so far, uh, J.K. Rowling has never disappointed. I want to thank Andrew Albanese for joining us on Beyond the Book this week, as he does every Friday. My pleasure, as always. Next up in our weekly interview series, musician and entrepreneur Panos Panay joins me from the Berkeley College of Music's Institute for Creative Entrepreneurship. Panay is a co-founder of the Open Music Initiative that aims to establish a global open source platform for music creators and rights owners. Panay has forged a coalition of big commercial players as well as leading academic institutions. And you may say, well, gee, what does academia have to do with this? Well, we felt that um, when you look at innovation that happens in any market, uh, you really sort of need uh, uh, both industry and academic participants, as well as government and policy participants to come together to really advance a particular cause. And this has happened time and again in a number of different situations. That's Panos Panay with the Open Music Initiative, available on Beyond the Book from Monday, August 1st. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with its subsidiaries RightsDirect in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.